Hello, and welcome to the Logistics Management Podcast Series. My name is Jeff Berman. I'm Group News Editor for Logistics Management Magazine and also the Peerless Media Supply Chain Group. Today, it's a real pleasure to welcome Greg Oberding to our podcast. Greg is founder and CEO of Kansas City-based Rail Modal Group, an aeromodal logistics services provider with um, a network of privately operated intermodal terminals that provide services to inland containerized export shippers. Prior to founding Rail Modal Group, Greg was at Interstate Commodities in Troy, New York from 1994 to 2018. In 2004, Greg assumed the role of CEO and organized a large vertical integration of the company within the United States domestic commodity supply chain. From 2005 to 2015, Interstate Commodities grew commodity assets to more than 40 million bushels of storage capacity, animal feed manufacturing, international trading, agronomy, risk management services and solutions, and also rail car leasing, trucking, and logistics. Interstate Commodities' vertical integration strategy of operating private rail car assets provided the company with a strong competitive advantage within the United States domestic agricultural supply chain for several years. After launching its international trading group, Interstate Commodities rapidly grew into the third largest United States agricultural BCO, exporting more than 100,000 TEUs on an annual basis. And using the same vertical strategy, the company also developed a source-to-demand supply chain model in multiple locations throughout the U.S. Uh, before we bring Greg in, uh, just a little fun podcast fact. Greg and I both hail from the Capital District in New York in the Albany area, and we're schoolmates at the Albany Academy. Uh, hey, Greg, it's great to have you. Welcome. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Greg, not everyone is familiar with Rail Modal Group. Why don't you give us a basic overview of the company, and then we can sort of drill down from there. Okay, Jeff, thanks. So Railmoto Group is, uh, an is a transportation uh, company that I developed focused on uh, the supply chain for intermodal and moving intermodal container shipments uh, ex for exports from the United States for processors and suppliers and producers of commodities and products, mostly in the agricultural space to international destinations throughout Asia and Southeast Asia. So uh, the company was started about three or four years ago based on a strategy that I developed through all my experience in the commodity trading field for right. uh, the agricultural products over the last 25 years or so. We were a very large exporter of, of agricultural commodities like soybeans and things like that. So we ended up divesting that company about five, six, seven years ago, and I moved to Florida. So I spent some time with my family and I was getting a little tired and I decided that I needed to started another career because I was in my late 40s and wasn't really ready to retire. Right. So I came up with a strategy that would develop a, a logistics solution for rural locations that were dislocated from transportation solutions, particularly intermodal. And what I ended up doing is taking a grain elevator facility where large amounts of soybeans are stored in Nebraska, uh, eastern Nebraska, and I took that facility and repurposed it into an intermodal terminal. Um, the best way to describe that, it's like an inland port. Sure. And what we do is we take intermodal containers that are in abundance in places like Chicago and Dallas, Texas, for uh, uh, 
for, for, for shipments of commodities back to Asia. And what happens, Jeff, the reason why there's an abundance of them is because America imports twice as much as we export in containers. So for every two containers that come in to the United States, one goes back empty. Sure. So developing a solution for that is beneficial to the container shipping companies, the railroad, and it also supports the U.S. supply chain where we're filling you know, empty freight capacity. So what I did is I, I, I worked in partnership with the BNSF Railroad and with a couple of major steamship lines and developed a strategy to reposition those uh, containers that were you know, in empty locations like Chicago uh, in, in unit train uh, economics uh, and move them into these inland locations that I was developing, uh, handle those containers in those depots that I built and have them loaded at locations uh, near that depot, you know, only five, 10, 15, 20 miles away with exportable products, bring them back to our import term, our export terminal, put them on trains and then profile those trains to be delivered to the West Coast port terminals, loaded on ships and then moved for export. So it took a couple, three years really to get that fully developed. But once it became developed, it became very, very popular, and it's and it's a wonderful you know solution that kind of disrupted the whole intermodal supply chain. So that was a mouthful there. Maybe I could kind of like turn it back to you, and you could kind of pick it apart yeah. and you know cue yeah, no. some ideas to how to kind of be a little more granular. No, that that's great. It's a terrific overview. So obviously, it's a it's a really interesting model, a unique model. Let's talk about sort of the um the asset counts locations um so for example the number of containers you guys move in and out of your inland ports on whether it be a daily weekly basis you know just to provide some scale, perspective on the scale of the your operations in terms of output and things like that sure thanks so it, it, the whole supply chain is really um it, it's handling the the origination of the empty containers is where it starts so we we operate most of that in Chicago and Dallas. And then we have, you know, secondary locations other than that, where we also source the containers. So there's yeah. very large uh, terminals in Chicago and Dallas, for example. It's called Logistics Park Chicago and Logist in um, Alliance Dallas is the other one that operates for BNSF. Yeah. <laughs> so trains are coming into those terminals every couple of hours with uh, containers that are shipped in from Asia to go to say Walmart or places like that. So they come into those terminals, they're unloaded from the trains, and then they're moved out to the, the distribution facilities, you know, in a radius around Chicago, say, or Dallas. There's, there's enormous, enormous amounts of, of uh, warehousing that takes place there. <clears throat> so those containers are, are dispatched to those warehouses, they're unloaded and then they're, they're returned back to either a depot around Chicago or back into the LPC into the, where the containers are loaded back on the trains and leave. So we've arranged the opportunity to have our own sub depot within LPC where every day we have containers returning to us empty and then they're prepositioned for trains we have going out of LPC, empty, empty, empty profile trains to okay. come to our terminals. So each train is about a mile and a half long. It's about 7,000 feet and it and holds about 250 containers. So we'll have a train leave Chicago almost, you know, every day or so. The train's loaded with 250 empty containers and then it's, 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 it's dispatched for, say, Nebraska. Mm -hmm. It takes about 18 hours to get to Nebraska and then we receive it and we unload the 250 containers into our depot. And then we truck those containers, say, to 
Tyson Foods, to use as an example. Yeah. And Tyson is processing, say, you know, frozen pork and things like that. So we have a schedule of them to load every day. So we deliver them a container. That container is loaded with their product. And then we return it back to our terminal. So we're handling all of those containers that we receive into our terminal. We're handling all of the, the trucking drayage, it's called, you know, to the terminals or to the facilities that are loading the products in those containers. We're returning it back to our terminal. And then we're doing all the logistics on the ground to move those containers around, pick them up, put them down, put them on the trains. We then have to profile those trains in blocks to go to specific port terminals in Los Angeles and, and Long Beach. So once that train's fully profiled with 250 loaded containers mm -hmm. and it's properly blocked to go to, uh, you know, say half the train is going to a Long Beach terminal and half the train is going to go to, say, a Los Angeles terminal, we then uh, release that train and, and, and bill it to those destinations and then the BNSF We'll send a crew uh, up to uh, pick up the train. Well, the, so the locomotives are already sitting there. They'll send a crew to pick up the train, and then it'll leave for for uh, Los Angeles, which is about a five day trip yeah. to go to Los Angeles. Yeah. So, you know, in numbers, that when I started, Nebraska was the first one. I started that we were doing a train every ten days when I started it, and we were shipping primarily soybeans, for example that we would buy from farmers and we would sell it to customers we have in Asia. So it was entirely, you know, one product almost. And it was a product that we were shipping, you know, ourselves. It wasn't really benefiting anyone else. Fast forward to today, that terminal does uh, a fully profiled train every three days. And about 60% of the train is what I call third party business, which would be like Tyson Foods, frozen pork. And then one, uh, 40 percent of the business would be our products, which are you know commodities that we would buy from farmers, et cetera, and sell to customers in Asia. So there's been a lot of growth in that terminal, and it's also been developed into our full strategy of having a complementary business of our commodities that we buy and sell with uh, you know shippers and producers in the area and customers we have over in the Far East and Asia. And then the rest of it, it would be, you know, agricultural or, or commodity shippers of, of food products and agri products and things like that, giving them uh, optimizing the supply chain and giving them, you know, freight advantages, giving them sustainability, giving them an environmentally friendly solution. Um, yes. There's a lot of benefits here we can talk about, uh, about why this is better. And I want to get into that, but really, you know, to answer your question, when I started it, we had one terminal shipping about. 6,000 containers a year, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that terminal in Nebraska <clears throat> now ships 20,000 containers, just that terminal. And in total, the three terminals are shipping approximately 45,000 containers. Um, so at full capacity, we'll probably be at 100,000 containers combined with those three terminals, uh, in, in addition to the other complementary, the complementary assets the, the company has. But those three are kind of the major um, anchors of the whole company. Yeah, great, great, and uh, certainly speaks to the economies of scale with the uh, the amount of um, uh, just a high amount of TEUs you're moving, the volume, etc. Uh, and I know you just alluded to the benefits, and obviously, when when we think of intermodal, we always think of the sustainability side, the environmental benefits, uh, removing uh, over the road capacity from from truck to rail, etc. Um, please go ahead and just share a couple thoughts on that. 
well, so that was kind of one of the re real reasons why I started it. It was like Tyson's shipping their products hundreds and hundreds of miles and going like a circuitous route to get to its final destination. Mm -hmm. So just as an example, I, I, I love, I, I feel bad picking on a, on a, on a name, but it's, it's like, it's, it's <laughs> like the kind of, it, it's kind of like my, uh, my easy, you know, uh, explanation of what I'm doing here. So Tyson, they were, they were moving this product that I keep referring to, um, uh, to Kansas city, actually to a, a little place out right in Kansas city where it, it would be moved down there in a reefer uh, van, you know, yeah. a, a shipment form that is domestically oriented. And they, and it would uh, be unloaded into a warehouse, you know, and that warehouse would, would then have to load that into a, uh, a rail uh, reefer box car. Okay. And then it would have to rail out to California and be unloaded from that box car into another reefer storage warehouse. And then finally, from that place, it would get loaded into a reefer container and then trucked into the ports in California and then put on a ship. So you have, you know, multiple rehandling, which is going to cause product, you know, packaging degradation. You have costs involved in those rehandling. You have costs involved in the, you know, intermediate facilities that are holding it and handling it. You have trucking miles that are a lot higher. You have multiple forms of transportation that are costly. Uh, and, and, uh, and so forth. So, so you have a supply chain that has a lot more cost, a lot more, um, time to get from place to place to place before it gets to its final destination. Um, the security of the product for various reasons is, is, you know, less quality, uh, and, and environmental wise, you have, you know, a lot more, you know, carbon output for that whole process. Yeah. For so sure. what we've done is we've done a source loading model. I call it the first mile where we bring the final transportation form, which is the intermodal reefer container directly to the production facility and source load their product or commodity into that container there for its final destination returns to us. We put it on a train directly ships to the port. And, and by the way, when we ship to ports, they're, they're delivered on dock. So our trains move directly through the gates into the terminal. Mm -hmm. They go off the train onto the dock and then from the dock to the boat, to the ship. So, so we don't even have to in gate into the terminals. We go through the gate, which is extremely unique. And that was part of our original arrangement and agreement with the BNSF railroad. So all of our trains are moving from our terminals directly to the port terminals without ever having to go through a gate. Which is which is incredible because a lot of people, you know, they watch TV over the last several years and they see, you know, riots in California and containers falling off the side of the boats in the yeah. ocean because you can't can't get in and out of the terminal. Yeah. We don't have we don't have we've never had that problem, um, fortunately. Yeah, so. container dwell time is not an issue in in, in this. Yeah, yeah. And, and and the transit time, you know, Jeff, it takes about five days to California. Say a couple three days to get you know on the boat and out. And then it's 12 to 14 day sail to say, you know, uh, Tokyo or something like that, Busan, okay. Korea. So we're, we're looking at total inside a 20 day door to door. Previously it was, you know, 35 plus. Yeah. So they have tremendous time uh, gain on, you know, their supply chain, which is, you know, I don't have to explain to you what that means. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. This is this is really interesting, Greg. Um, so in, in, in the time in, in the time we have left here, why don't we, why don't we just shift gears for a second here? I, I'd just be uh, sort of curious as far as 
what what you view as sort of some of the main issues or challenges uh, within intermodal logistics? I mean, just uh, this can be from more of a general perspective. I know you obviously have a very strong relationship with the BN, um, but, you know, there has been a lot of attention uh, over the last, I don't know, we'll call it 15 to 18 months, especially just just about the current state of rail service. Um, it needs to it needs to uh, keep improving. Uh, the pandemic certainly did a number on it for a whole host of reasons that would take longer than we have to get into. But what are sort of, you know, it, it, what are sort of the big challenges or things that you're monitoring sort of from a market slash industry perspective as it relates to how you guys go about your day to day operations? Yeah, so. Um... That's a, that's an interesting question. I, I, I want to be sensitive that you know I, I work collaboratively with the railroad, so I, you know I yeah. have to I, I have to have no, you know, I, some sensitivity. I, I, um, but I you know I appreciate the question, and certainly you know I'm an advocate of having you know uh, you know a rail network in the United States that is you know um, going to set the standard for the rest of the world, of course, uh, and also you know supply the necessary you know. Um, things to the producer, the shippers that, that are going to be expected in terms of reliability. Okay. In terms of, you know, capacity, um, you know, access and availability. And, and really in the United States, it's interesting, you know, for, for since, you know, in the last 50 years, really, there's been a constant and consistent consolidation factor in the rail industry. So we just are in the middle of completing probably the last consolidation that'll ever take place in, in the United States, uh, the merger between the Canadian Pacific and yes. uh, the Kansas City Southern. Yep. So that that that's going to be it, in my opinion. I don't think you'll ever see another merger that'll pass the STB. Yeah. Uh, so that gives us six class one railroad, excuse me. Uh, yeah, six class one railroads. That, that merger yep. takes us to six. We're at seven. We're yeah. going to drop. Yeah, down from seven. Yep, yep. So... Yeah, now you have an oligopoly with six. You've had one, it's still, it's an oligopoly. And with that, you know, there's there's a tremendous amount of um, of uh, competitive, you know, environment that's taken place for the last, say, 25 years or so, uh, where, you know, costs have been, you know, an extreme constant in, uh, in, in, in making their operating ratio where it needs to be to, you know, please Wall Street and also, you know, maintain you know, a positive and successful uh, enterprise. So I think what you probably see now is hopefully, you know, these railroads will shift from, you know, operating ratio drive and cost, cost, cost to benefit, you know, a more stable situation of not furloughing crews, for example, you know, those kinds of things that are impacting the, uh, you know, the service of the railroad. Mm -hmm. I think the pandemic, just to kind of give the railroad, you know, a little credit here, certainly affected, you know, reliability because you had, you really did have an accelerator of, you know, having labor issues. Okay. And they already faced a very serious problem because the aging effect of their, their engineers, their conductors, and, you know, their operating people was hitting kind of like this tipping point of retirement, you know, and their ability to really to attract young professionals into that industry, the, the, the labor market, you know, they're at a disadvantage. Yeah. You know, does your kid want to go be a conductor on a railroad? You know, I mean, it's kind of <laughs> like it, it, it really was, it was tricky for them. So 
for them to pivot, uh, they, 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 they really, I think, became pretty successful at, you know, both with compensation strategies and also kind of reinventing, you know, what it means to work for the railroad. And they started to attract, you know, uh, a different kind of, of employee. Yeah. You go meet a conductor today, it's different than the conductor you met 25 years ago, believe me, uh, mm-hmm. you know. He doesn't have the same conductor hat on and, you know, barely high school education. A lot of them have MBAs. It's quite unusual. Yeah. But uh, yeah. they've been very successful at doing that. And I think that it may take a little time, but the pandemic slowed that down and caused a bit of an issue. But I believe the railroad is going to pivot into a professional class of operational employees that is well-educated and they're going to have, you know, comp- you know, the, the competition for labor is going to shift in their favor, I think. Yeah, no, I, I, th- I think that's very fair. Um, well, look, Greg, this brings us to the end of our allotted time for today's recording. So on behalf of Logistics Management Magazine and the Peerless Media Supply Chain Group, I want to offer up a big thanks for you to join us today and for all of us to learn a lot about Rail Modal Group. Uh, for those of you out there listening, please check out the Rail Modal Group website, just simply railmodalgroup.com. Um, and, uh, Greg, uh, can people uh, hit you up on LinkedIn? Do you have a LinkedIn profile? Uh, I, well, so let me just correct that. So Jeff, it's actually real model group is consolidated with another company, uh, oh, which okay. is called NORAG, N-O-R-A-G. So actually we're a family of companies and, uh, and they're all held under a holding company. But, but, um, if, if, if you're, if you're, uh, if your viewers want, or your, um, you know, podcast, uh, listeners want to really check out our company, go to NORAG, N-O-R-A-G, uh, okay. that will, that will encompass RMG and the whole holding company. So it's NORAG, um, actually that's a good question. I think it's, let me look it up. <laughs> yeah. Take your time. We got to, we, uh, we got, we got a couple minutes here. So, well, why don't you finish up then? Yeah, no. Um, so for those of you out there, it, it's so Greg said NORAG, but uh, and again, uh, I just want to mention to the uh, listeners out there, if you're uh, on Twitter, please feel free to give us a follow. It's simply at Logistics MGMT. And also, uh, if uh, you're not subscribed to our podcast, please go ahead and add us. It's a uh, supply chain 24 seven, wherever you get your podcast. And um uh, Greg, one once more, thanks again. Uh, I never thought I'd have someone from my uh, from the Albany Academy on the podcast, so this is a uh, historic in a sense. I uh, really appreciate you spending some time with us today. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Yeah, go abs- cadets, right? Yeah, go go cadets is right. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks a lot. Have a good one, and we'll see you next time.